continuing today in this practice and process of what we can call training, the conscious cultivation and development of what is wholesome and what is possible for us as human beings. And equally, a process of exploring and discovering what it is that is already here, that can be and is revealed in the light of our practice, our presence, our caring, attentive connection with what is arising moment by moment. And it's useful to understand some of the elements of what we speak about when we describe and discuss this process. And although sometimes words can be used differently or interchangeably, when I speak about these words, this is how I'm using them. And I think it's a helpful way to see them. When we talk about attention, we're talking about the capacity and the faculty of our heart-mind to pick out a particular or a general field of experience. It can be done intentionally and consciously. It can also happen unintentionally and without conscious volition. But it's never accidental insofar as attention moves towards And we can learn to consciously train the way and to where and how it moves. We've talked about the focus element of how wide or narrow the aperture may be, how much we take in, seeing that sometimes it's useful to gather in really close to a particular moment or breath or sensation And at other times it's useful to back off, to open out, to include more and more. And we see how we have the capacity also to direct that attention to a chosen object. And how, of course, our unconscious patterning, habits, and at times compulsions can pull the attention towards or away from some of the objects or fields of our experience. And so it's interesting when we talk about attention because we talk about, commonly, paying attention. And it's like at school, teacher says, pay attention, kid. Concentrate. And we kind of have this, okay, pay. It's like it's a a forfeit or it's being extracted or demanded from me. There's a transactional thing going on. Attention is actually precious currency, perhaps the most precious And so pay is an appropriate word in some contexts. Pay attention. We are asked to pay attention. But we can also talk, and we do talk about giving attention. When we give attention to our experience rather than pay attention, we may feel the difference in what that's... Because that's an offering. It's still currency. It's still valuable. We're recognizing that. But we're giving it. Giving it to our experience. And in this process, we are training the faculty of attention. So we talk about training our attention. And in this three particular elements, we're learning to train in. And to say them simply, just to name them, because we've spoken of them in different ways already, this capacity to gather, collect, steady, and focus in a way that can be precise and particular, or that can equally be open and soft, but is nonetheless steady and gathered. We're learning to bring a sense of of openness, of allowance, of acceptance. And in a sense, we could say kindliness, the kindness and care that just allows the experience to be and has a willingness to stay close, even when it's not easy for us to do so. And in a certain way, we could say we're training the... We might more think of training the mind in terms of that ability to establish, sustain, 
gather or expand the object to which we are attending and the way we're attending. And we might think of it more in terms of a heart quality, that sense of being able to open to or bring a kindness and acceptance and allowance in meeting and connecting and being intimate with the experience, even when that's not easily done because it's something we find ourselves challenged by or resisting. And yet both of these really expressions and aspects of the heart-mind that we work with and practice. And it's useful to notice that when we're more able to gather and focus and steady, then maybe we feel we're less working on the, the heart opening. And when we're not so steady, often that's when we're called to open our heart to whatever it is that's making the experience less steady, less easy to settle and quiet in the midst of. And then there's a third quality that's also that we're bringing in this attention, which is the quality of curiosity, of interest, of not assuming that I already know all there is to know about what is arising. Coming to it with a freshness and interest, as if a small child encountering a curious beetle for the first time would just gaze like, wow, what is that? Not, oh, I think it's, you know, phylum chordata from the genus of insecta, what's a... I don't know how you do those things, but they wouldn't do that, would they? It was just, wow, look at that thing. And that same way, it's like, oh, when we say insect, we imagine we know what that is. When we say to our experience, it's that, it's useful to label it, to know what it is. That's helpful, but leave some room for what we don't yet fully know or what more there is to discover here. And that brings us closer the sense of familiarity that in our, our language and idiom we know familiarity breeds contempt. It's like we don't really care for, value and give attention to what has become too familiar. And so that quality of freshness, immediacy, that has natural interest and curiosity in it. It's like, what's this? Bringing, without needing to answer that or thinking of that as an intellectual question but it's more like what's this it's like the eyes open wide it's a new form of life a new expression of life even if it's quite similar to one that's happened before it's nonetheless fresh immediate and so we train our attention to bring these qualities to bear Orienting heart and mind towards experience. Seeing what's useful, what's helpful in the way we do this. Exploring, discovering, understanding for ourselves. What happens if I do it this way? What happens if I try it that way? Huh, what's useful in this? And so, one of the words we also hear and use in this context, we're talking about attention there, is is consciousness and consciousness is the simple faculty or capacity we have to know experience but we can be having the experience of sight sound smells taste touch and thoughts those are the the realm of experience that we know the buddha talks about six sense doors including the mind that receives thoughts and impressions and moods And we can just be knowing these, and we can know them consciously or unconsciously, but we're still conscious in terms of how we normally use that language. Consciousness is functioning, therefore we will feel some degree of temperature, warmth or cool. We might not be aware of it unless we bring our attention to the body and say, oh, it feels kind of warm. Huh. Now I'm aware of, because I've given attention to, what I was conscious of. And awareness, that sense of, oh, the self-reflective conscious knowing of what's happening with attention and consciousness. That almost the nature of what's happening is that it's known. And we're not quite doing that. We can't really direct that. We're certainly not in control of it. We've noticed that because the simple instruction is pay attention, be aware, and we can't always, or give attention, be aware, we can't always. Because awareness is somewhat ineffable. 
And yet it's happening. When it's happening, until it's not. And then it comes back. And we're here again, realizing, huh, I wasn't. And I am. But by definition, we didn't do that because we weren't there the previous moment. In a conscious, self-directing way. We weren't there. That's the definition of becoming unaware. And so it's somewhat mysterious too. And when we talk about this training, we're not training awareness in the way we're training attention. We're training in awareness. Can you hear the difference? Do you have a sense of that? Oh, we're training in awareness. So rather than it being something which we're using, it's the context in which we're engaged in this training. And we're learning what it means to be more able to access and to abide in that which knows. Buddha, as Catherine was speaking about a couple of nights ago, that awakened unified field that we call the awakened one. Not just Siddhartha Gautama, the Buddha of history, but the awakened oneness or awakened indivisibility that is simply aware when we are aware and awake. And it's just something that happens. It's not something that we can find or grab, or pick up. And we train in awareness. But we'd never own it. In a sense, we own attention. We're responsible for it. Consciously or unconsciously. It's moved by our volition. Awareness emerges and reveals itself when we are interested in what is true right here and right now. And we turn towards this. And what we also notice is as we explore and establish this attentiveness and consciousness in the body, so the knowing of the body, we direct our attention to that experience because the body is conscious, though we don't always know it. As we attend to it and awareness, that sense of knowing the body and being located here, what we start to also recognize is what we can call presence, which is embodied awareness. Awareness isn't located. It's unlocatable, but presence, awareness manifesting in this location, connected with this embodied life, it's tangible. We can feel it. Sometimes the room is filled with it. It's still not something we can grasp with our minds quite or with our urge, yeah, I'd like some more of that, please. But it is something we, again, can train in. And so we're equally saying we're training in awareness. We're training in presence by giving our attention consciously intentionally to this experience of life in which sights and sounds and smells and tastes and touch and thought are known by the eyes and the ears and the nose and the tongue and the body and the mind in which we can be awake in the midst of. And so our practice includes all of this. We begin by gathering and focusing the attention to counterbalance the condition many of us come to retreat in or find ourselves in of distractedness, of fragmentation, of disconnection, of even deeper disassociation, of real profound deep loss of contact with our experience. And as we become more established and stable and able to reconnect or sustain conscious intention, conscious attentiveness, this awareness, this presence, it deepens, it stabilizes, and we open more and more to the full realm of experience. We no longer need to constrain or hold in 
the movement of attention in the same way. Because it's not so much driven by the reactive patterns that we're dominating. And we notice that. There's more space and ease. Not to say they've gone completely, but they're often we start to notice the intensity is less or there's just more ability to see and stay with what happens when they show. And so we can, we can at times allow the attention to move according to what it is called towards rather than directing it intentionally towards a particular. So it might just be that we've been attending consciously to and with the breathing and working with that and the body and the whole body and the posture, the quality of what that's like. And that's really helpful as a foundation. And sometimes if we're feeling distracted or reactive or fragmented, just continue to give emphasis in that way. Simple attention to body breathing. But when we feel more steady, we can allow the attention to move. Allow it to go to a sound and rest with a sound. To notice a sensation in the body. Maybe the quality of pleasurableness or unpleasantness that called our attention. To notice that. To see there might be a mood of enjoyment or of unease that arises together with that. And we notice, ah, this is a mood. It's like the atmosphere of this heart and mind is is being colored, shaped and formed in a particular way. And we notice that. It can be useful to give it a name. To say, oh, it's this. It's this. And equally with the thinking, the content of what appears in our mind in the form of language or images. We think in terms of language and images. And some of us, one is more dominant than the other. Most of us have some element of both. And so images give us a whole lot of information in a holistic way. Language tends to give us information in a more linear fashion. But both of them are information. Thoughts come into the mind as pictures or words It doesn't mean we have to believe them. The information isn't always accurate. The perceptions, the views, the conclusions, they turn out to be unreliable if we examine them. So the intention here is not to have to believe what the mind produces. I sometimes use this particular thought to practice with. It goes, the moon is made of green cheese. I play it through my mind. I don't feel inclined to believe it. I don't have some need to make sure it never gets said again because I have to protect the world from people who think the the moon is made of green cheese. It's just words in the mind. It appears to make sense, but it's not sense. There's a lot like that that appears in our minds. We don't always realize that's what's happening. And at the same time, as one Tibetan master observed... Wisdom is just a wandering thought that comes into the mind and says, wow, things do change. Not just a thought, but oh, I actually get it. Wow, this and everything. Or, oh yeah, it's kind of fluid and not solid. What I thought was permanent. And it's not really mine. Because... It comes and goes according to its whim, not mine. This experience. This is wisdom, I mean, coming. It's just a thought. So the thought is not an issue in itself. The question is whether we're present and knowing that thinking is taking place and therefore able to review it and see, is this a useful, skillful thought that leads to well-being, to happiness, that leads onwards to a deepening and an opening of my heart and my life? Or does it not? In which case, I'll put it down. And that when we're really grounded in the body, thoughts, feelings, emotions, images can all be allowed to come. And we don't need to pick them up. We don't need to push them away. 
They don't in themselves have the capacity to take us away from this embodied presence. And therefore, we have nothing to fear from them. And yet we're also learning how to handle them skillfully. So sometimes it's useful to put them down, come back to the body, the breath. But sometimes we can just see the thoughts like a train going through the station, like little bubbles of energy in the mind, like clouds passing through the sky. And it's like we can stand at the train station and, yeah, I just really don't need to get on those trains. And then they're just doing what they do. If they're more sticky or charged, of course, coming into the body again, more consciously, to make space for, to get to know, to learn to handle whatever that resonance, stickiness or charge may be. But in and through it all, bringing the sense of interest, of curiosity to see what may be here to be discovered that I have not yet fully seen, discovered, or understood. Because there is more. It's one of the, one of the words used to describe the Dhamma, the epithets of the Dhamma. We talk about it being something that leads onwards to further possibility about something that is here and now, about something, it's something that's timeless, inviting investigation leading onwards and to be known by ourselves to be known by themselves known by the wise in their own experience and this is what we practice here exploring this dharma this dhamma with conscious intentionality at times directed attention, at times open attention, just receiving what comes. Not needing to hold on to anything, not needing to push anything away. Moment by moment. Allowing ourselves to settle and sink more deeply into this immediacy of life just as it is just as you are
Do you notice what happens when the bell sounds at the end of the sitting? (coughs) Sometimes it's quite palpable, the sense of just, ah. (laughs) And yet what's interesting is that the moment just after the bell rang and the moment just before it aren't really that different. And often we're somehow trying to get there or do something that sometimes just softens and relaxes when we think this particular form has ended and think accurately. But the practice doesn't end in that moment. The invitation to be awake is equally in the listening to the bell and in the unfolding of one's body or changing of one's orientation from inner attentiveness to outer listening. But still with that quality of intentional attention. That knowing that we're here, abiding in awareness and presence. This we learn to bring to and fill the whole day with. And this is the invitation for this day, this precious day of practice. So much richness, maturing, deepening and ripening has been taking place over these days. And still there is some time before we need to turn our attention to what will come after. So really making good use of this day, of each moment, of every opportunity that presents itself to receive that invitation to offer oneself wholeheartedly in response to it, offering ourselves to this life to leave nothing out. And yet within that to be able to make choices as to what is helpful, skillful and useful in serving and supporting that quality of steadiness and groundedness, stability and cohering without tightening, allowing a fullness of solidity, presence, to see what helps and supports that opening, that kindness, that kindly willingness to encounter what's here. And what supports that curiosity, that interest, that openness to to see, to understand, to allow this heart and mind to travel beyond what is known and familiar into the vast and rich dimensionality of life. And so it may be a good day if you notice that there's something You've never done. If you've never taken your walking from the end of the sitting all the way through to coming back to the next one or whatever scheduled afterwards, see, today might be the day where you could do that. If you've never, out of deep embarrassment, allowed yourself to have a second helping of something you like (laughs) in case everybody else notices and thinks you're greedy, Maybe today's a a day to see if it's okay. Not out of greed, but out of exploration and out of perhaps wishing to offer oneself something. And see, it's not a project. What happens if you do something just a little different Sometimes when I eat my meal, I very consciously, I'm left-handed, I very consciously sit on my left hand and use the fork or spoon with my right hand, which isn't actually really that good at it. So I really have to pay attention or else the food will end up in the wrong place. I can't do it so habitually. And just a little thing to play with. I wouldn't make a religion out of it. (laughs) But sometimes we do with the forms. 
if it feels that 45 minutes at the end of the period of sitting or walking or standing, there's a sense of, well, I could just keep sitting or walking or standing. You know, you can. And if it feels halfway through it, oh, I need to, or it might be useful to change. You can. But be fully there with it. If you've never changed your posture in a sitting, and you don't feel like you need to, just other folk who have bodies that aren't quite as comfortable or whatever, do that. Try it and see. And if you've never stayed with an uncomfortable posture for more than half a moment, try that and see. There's no right and wrong in this, just the possibility of discovery. And there is so much to discover. Just a couple of practical things. There are. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.